Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Profit for small firm architects, it's our free course. We'll teach you how to earn 20% on your next project. Download it today for free, entrearchitects.com slash free course. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business. As a small firm entrepreneur architect, this is episode 230, and this week I'm speaking with Ryan Seamers about how to tell a powerful story through video. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and much more at RCAT.com, FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work that you love. And Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. Ryan Seamers, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hey, thanks. It's great to be here. It's great having you here. Let me tell our listeners a little bit about you and who you are. Uh, after receiving two bachelor degrees from the University of Minnesota in Architecture and Urban Studies, Twin Cities native Ryan Seamers attended the University of Oregon's uh, Portland Center for Urban Architecture. And following his time in Portland, Ryan returned back to Minneapolis to work with the national design build firm Opus Architects and Engineers to sort of gain a perspective on the motivations and capabilities 
of a private developer. And ever since he could remember, Ryan possessed a mind for the art of storytelling. So during what had become the time of the Great Recession, which many of us remember and have lived through, it was clear that Ryan needed to sort of reshape his passion for architecture and photography and the digital arts into a set of services that can serve the architectural community by crafting stories that communicate the value, the ingenuity, and the beauty that design brings to society in a clear and compelling way. Ryan's passion to learn, grow, and innovate has driven him to be a pioneer in architectural cinematography and filmmaking in Minnesota. So I can't wait to have this conversation. I love vis- uh, video, and I love storytelling, and when uh, Ryan reached out to me recently, we, we uh, actually... I. I launched the Behind the Design series showing architects' work uh, on the Ontario <laughs> Architect website, and he wrote back and said, hey, you stole my name, <laughs> and, and we had a little conversation. Uh, we met back in Minnesota when we, I was there for CRAN not too long ago, and uh, I think it was CRAN, right? Was that what it was, Ryan? I don't remember. I think it was, yeah, sure. Um, and, uh, and so we talked a little bit, and uh, we shared um, the, the, the commonality of this behind the design and he started telling me what he does and I wanted to get him here on the on the podcast and talk a little bit. Um, so Ryan, I shared a little bit about you and what you've done. Um, let's start with your origin story. Why don't you go back to where you discovered architecture and what inspires you or inspired you to become an architect and then what sort of that journey to where you are today, which is something related but different. So tell us that story. Sure. Well, uh, I think I got lucky uh, kind of growing up. I had two parents who let me basically take apart anything. Oh, cool. <laughs> and uh, I don't think I'll let my kids do that with as many capacitors and things that can basically blow up in their face now. But <laughs> uh-huh. I, uh, I, I really gained a, a love of kind of taking apart things and putting things together uh, when I was a kid. And uh, when I got into high school, I really kind of fell in love with um, – kind of trade applications in architecture. So drafting and, and woodworking. And I actually changed schools uh, uh, in my hometown to another school because they had kind of reduced the amount of options and electives that you could take to study uh, drafting and, uh, and that sort of thing. So once I, I changed schools, I didn't even really know what architecture was called at the time. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was asked, what do I want to go to school for? And I'm like, well, you know, I want to, I want to design places. I want to design spaces. I want to build things. And they're like, oh, okay, well, you, you want to go into architectural engineering. I'm like, oh, all right, that sounds awesome. <laughs> There's a name for it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I got to school and they're like, well, you can drop the engineering part. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, that sounds great. And um, uh, went to the University of Minnesota where they kind of focus on like kind of a theoretical uh, approach to architecture and uh, uh, just kind of pursued that passion there. And then, and then from there, you ended up going over to, to, into Oregon? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, when I double mastered in, at the University of Minnesota, I learned that I could basically just extend my, my, my collegiate career there by one year and turn my, my passion in urban studies into a secondary, secondary degree. And uh, what I loved about urban studies is I focused on kind of the politics of architecture. What, what makes architecture possible? What shapes the decisions that we're even making in terms of design code and uh, the built fabric of the larger environment? And so looking at those policy decisions, 
uh, I was turned on to Portland because of their urban growth boundary mm -hmm. at the time. And um, as you probably know now, uh, that actually was uh, dismantled and actually was dismantled the year I was graduating, which was pretty sad. But the idea if behind it, if you're not familiar with, is essentially kind of controlling uh, public investment in urban growth uh, and uh, public dollars into kind of a concentrated area, usually the downtown. And um, what it did, it was really kind of focus urban transit, uh, kind of create a, another kind of set of standards of kind of what, the way a city can grow. And so I really wanted to go out there and kind of explore that myself, see how it was taking shape. And um, kind of along those lines, when I was looking at um, what I could do for a career path, I really wanted to continue expanding uh, that understanding of like what's pushing design, what's pushing um, the politics as much as the, um, the design dollars. So uh, when I came back to Minnesota, I started an internship with Opus Architects and Engineers actually while I was in Portland. And then when I came back, uh, I had a fantastic opportunity to see how a real estate developer uh, can both own and develop their own properties and then how they approach cities, how they work with communities. And, and of course, this is only like one case study, but um, uh, I thought it was great until the recession hit and basically yeah. <laughs> collapsed a lot of options. Yeah. So, and, then, um, and then, so what happened from there? So you were, you were at Opus and the recession yeah. hit and, and so were you downsized or did you sort of, sort of see things coming in? Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see things coming. Uh, it was almost like the sort of Damocles. I, uh, I had survived four previous rounds of layoffs. Uh, they were letting people go about every quarter. Um, it was, you know, just like many others, it was heartbreaking to watch your friends, your colleagues mm -hmm. basically taking off. And then you get to the point where you see how, th how hard things are and you're like, okay, well, you know, if it's my time, I completely understand this is nothing personal. And so, um, when it happened at first, I was kind of relieved. It's like, okay, well now I can make some other choices, um, about what I want to do. And then I realized, oh, <laughs> there's about, uh, 70% unemployment, 80% unemployment. <laughs> And uh, there, there weren't a lot of people looking for designers or, or people to help with marketing at that time. So um, I started trying to ask myself, well, what are those key skills that I was doing at Opus, which was a lot of design work, yes, but it was really kind of helping uh, kind of formulate what our story is, even internally, uh, like why are we doing what we're doing and um, how do we convince those higher up that making better decisions about design is worth putting the dollars into it. Um, and I, I, I really had some great opportunities there, but what I realized when the recession hit was that we really aren't doing a great job of telling our story as architects um, to our clients, to the general public. And um, at the time it appeared to me as though um, it still seemed like there was some construction going on. It still seemed like, you know, a lot of uh, trades were sometimes busy, sometimes not, but they were the ones who were usually getting the call before the architects. And it seemed like, well, if they want to make the best decisions for their dollars, they really should talk to us. So how can I, how can I take that eye of being a designer and then uh, kind of capture it, tell that story? And so when I was um, 
I kind of said to myself, all right, well, I, I'm pretty good at photography. Um, I'm documenting my own projects. We're using those in our renderings. We're using those as, as like our basis for renderings. We're using those for our marketing photos for finished projects that I worked on. Why don't I uh, kind of build up those skills? And, you know, if the recession turns around, I have another skill I can kind of really, you know, bring back into the trade. And um, then Architecture Minnesota, I started having a conversation with uh, Chris Hudson, who's the editor of Architecture Minnesota, which is our trade magazine from AIA Minnesota. And uh, they were getting ready to launch something called Videotech. And I had been playing around with my first DSLR with some video capabilities. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, we're, we can we can take this to the next step. And I had a picked up a couple of clients who I started kind of introducing like little video clips to. They didn't know what they wanted to do with it. I was trying to kind of help them figure out how to make little montages of uh, still in video, uh, kind of help tell their story uh, with the quality of their products. My, I, I should say like my first client was a glass client and uh, there are just so many kind of ephemeral uh, characteristics to his product um, it's architectural glass, so it's cast glass, it's colored glass, there's dichromic glass, there's um, all these very unique characteristics that are almost impossible to convey in a still image. So when he saw what I was doing with like having people move behind the glass, if it was a vertical wall, or if um, how you could just change the camera's position to kind of reveal a little bit of parallax, it kind of started leading into some of the current techniques that I use today to kind of help reveal space. And um, so when Architecture Minnesota came along with Videotect, um, the, the concept of it was you take one design topic and then you tell a story about it. Mm -hmm. And when we, we got started uh, with that competition, essentially the, uh, the idea was to make a three or four minute video. <laughs> Um, and I had this, this great idea about like, how do you show the use of skyways for the elderly versus like just the, just the average everyday person. Like, uh, in Minnesota, we have a, a terrific skyway network, but what does it mean to somebody who's disabled, who doesn't have access to the same types of, of, uh, facilities that we do. And so and, sky, just to clarify, skyways are the bridges that connect the buildings. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So, because yep. Minnesota has tremendously cold and snowy winters, they have <laughs> yes. you have these basically these covered bridges, these enclosed bridges that connect these buildings, you know, across the roads and throughout the city. Yeah. Thanks for qu clarifying that. Um, yeah. And, and Minneapolis approaches it very differently than St. Paul. So, um, because the topic of that year was skyways, um, people looked at. Um, they looked at it through like a sci-fi type of perspective, a, a comedic perspective, a historic perspective. Um, and I looked, I, I decided to take my daughter and a friend of mine who used to work at Opus. And um, my daughter at the time was about 18 months, two years maybe. And I uh, had her chase a ball all around the skyways and then also followed Roger all around the skyways as he's uh, uh, pushing his wife around. Uh, in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. 
and it was amazing kind of like all the things that were kind of revealed to to us just as we were kind of filming through the skyways um about how much harder it is to get around but also what's the perspective like from that height and um and anyway so that was that was kind of the first real um kind of short story that i put together and from there uh chris and i started talking about like well how can we actually start incorporating these types of stories in architecture minnesota and um uh, I looked at a couple case studies for them of a library in Maple Grove and Public Radio International's new headquarters, and uh, those became kind of the foundation of like how I how I like to approach architecture, uh, architectural storytelling, which is um, really kind of discovering what clients have to stay, say, discovering what the architects have to say, and then kind of weaving that together. Um, with the visuals of, of kind of people in the environment that they built. So you're, you're sort of taking buildings, which we always sort of see as static photos um, mm-hmm. or, or physical buildings. You're standing in front of them and looking at them and you're sort of going back and telling their backstory of how they've, how they were created and, and who uses them and how they're used and all the other things that we can't know by just looking at it. Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of like a visual version of uh, uh, 90% invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's, that's my aim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, what they do is, is remarkable. So without any visual story behind it. Right. So 99% invisible is a podcast that sort of yes. takes a design topic and sort of digs deep into it and tells a story about it that you would not have otherwise known. So usually a sort of a generic topic, something that you, everybody knows mm-hmm. about, but then they tell a story that you couldn't possibly have known. Exactly. Yep. And so from there, um, I started bridging into kind of like helping architects kind of tell the story about their firm, um, helping the American Institute of Architects kind of um, highlight key projects that they really um, have honored, like the Affordable Housing Design Award for the last uh, three, four years. Um, helping uh, Studio IDS, for which is the office of uh, Perkins and Will in Minneapolis, uh, kind of talk a little bit about their philosophy while revealing the type of workspace they live in. Um, and even uh, uh, doing a project with, uh, with the uh, Wigington Scholarship, which helps uh, minority uh, students pursuing architecture degrees. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it, it's really turned into a life of its own. <laughs> so are these, are these videos that you do, are they like little mini documentaries? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would, I would call it that. Um, they're, they're mini documentaries under usually about six minutes. A lot of times they're, uh, two to four minutes in length, but if a story really, uh, is kind of deserving of it, uh, and you can tell the story, right. You can have a, a six to 10 minute piece that feels like it's three or four minutes. What are some of the results that you've seen from these videos? Because you can tell these story, stories through print, you can tell these stories through audio, you can tell mm-hmm. you can tell these stories through static photographs. By but by creating a video about them, and you see this from the from the um, the uh, the film challenge, the AIA National Film Challenge every year. You see yes. the, the 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 submissions to that, and they are yes. powerful, powerful stories in very very short amount of time. Um, stories that you could not possibly tell any other way and have that impact. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect. We could not do this without them. RCAT, FreshBooks, 
and Gusto. RCAT is always developing solutions for architects and the professionals who support them. And just a few weeks ago at the AIA Conference in Architecture in New York City, they revealed Biminit. Biminit is a plugin for Revit that allows you to access RCAT.com's huge library of free BIM objects, families, and system files without ever leaving Revit. Did you hear me say that? Without ever leaving Revit, search for specific products, configure them, and load them into your project all in the same window. Go check out RCAT.com's BIM section today. Why leave Revit when there's BIM in it? Visit EntreeArchitect.com slash RCAT and click the BIM menu right up at the top and start using Biminit by RCAT on your next project. That's EntreeArchitect.com slash RCAT and go check out Biminit. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. And getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. Most people send their first invoice seconds after starting their free trial. The same goes for tracking time, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. Fast, easy, maybe even life-changing. And if you need help at any time, free award-winning customer service is just a phone call or an email away. And if you have ever had second thoughts, don't worry. On top of our free trial for Entree Architect listeners, you get a 30-day money-back guarantee so you don't ever have to worry about choosing FreshBooks. So give FreshBooks a try. It's free for 30 days. Just visit EntreeArchitect.com slash FreshBooks and then let them know that we sent you by sharing Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's EntreeArchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access your free 30-day trial today. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations, and old-school payroll providers just aren't built for the way that we work today. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy for you to get it right. No longer do you have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. And to help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free. Once you run a first payroll, three months free. Just go to EntreeArchitect.com slash Gusto. That is EntreeArchitect.com slash Gusto, G-U-S-T-O, and claim your free three months of payroll processing today. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So have you seen specific uh, stories being told and seeing some, some, uh, some significant results from telling that story through video? You know, the funniest thing is that um, in this market, you can imagine it's kind of a niche audience. Um, and, and so a lot of my clients bring the videos with them to presentations as kind of a, um, a backstory about why they're there, the types of projects or their firm culture. 
and uh, they all have such great success with it, they just keep coming back. But, you know, the pieces that actually mean the most to me are the ones like the Schmidt Artist Lofts, which mm -hmm. was an affordable housing design award, or um, the Young Architect Award videos, because um, they have such personal stories uh, kind of wrapped into what they love, what's pat, what what's meaningful to them. And I've continually had them come back to me and say that um, they're continuing to hear great things about the video. Like if I, it, you know, it's funny, the longer I get into this field, the less I feel compelled to put my own nameplate at the end of a video or at the beginning of the video. So um, a lot of what I hear is secondhand. Um, so I'll tell somebody that, like, say I was working on the Schmidt Artist Lost video, and they're like, oh, my God, that was amazing. You did that? And uh, I, I never knew that it was so complex, or I, I didn't realize that the, there were so many different artists or so many different types of people that, living there. And um, it's it's those kind of things that, that make what I am do uh, feel worthwhile, feel beneficial to everybody, even if I'm not getting that direct kind of audience participation. Um, my best <laughs> my best experiences of viewing my work is usually at like a, an AIA event in the uh, at a, uh, the convention every year. Um, uh, we started to develop kind of a tradition of showing the videos that I created for AIA at the luncheon and just kind of the amount of applause at the end of them is it's just more it's worth more than money. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you, you can't there's no other medium that that can tell a story like video. Uh, it, yeah. Uh, have you seen anybody embracing video in like a regular like a vlog uh, format storytelling, you know, it's in the design world, in the architecture world? Yeah. You know, um, one of my clients, Andrea Swan, uh, Swan Architecture, um, she has really embraced um, use video and storytelling in her Instagram feed. Yeah. Uh, she's wherever she's at for a project, she'll take her phone and uh, basically just point out a little detail that, you know, she finds whimsical or point out something that uh, is kind of a little backstory. And it's, it's very powerful yeah. uh, to, to her clients to kind of see not only um, her, not only her future clients, but her current clients. It shows them that, you know, she really cares about her work. Um, and so it continues to kind of build that relationship with them. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that Instagram and Facebook now also has stories. Um, mm -hmm. the, and actually, um, uh, Facebook also has a new longer format video as well. They just recently, um, released, um, a couple months ago, actually this, this will come out, um, uh, probably in July sometime. So it was launched in early June, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I think, you know, YouTube is a great platform, but it takes yes. a lot of work to sort of develop the short little videos that, that, that could be presented in, a, in an effective way there. Uh, right. You have to sort of record them and then edit them and then produce them and then publish them and upload them. There's a yep. lot of work to do to, for that. And, and there are architects that are doing that and doing it really well. Eric Reinholdt with 30 by 40 Workshop does a fantastic job at that. But, but mm -hmm. you have to – there's a tremendous amount of time involved in that. And so these platforms oh, like Instagram and Facebook that allow us to share video through the stories uh, platform are really mm -hmm. great opportunities 
for us mm-hmm. to to share our knowledge and to and to um, share some of the day to day experiences that we have and create a following and and create a connection with our potential clients. You know, because Absolutely. as architects, yep. we could be telling our story every day through video. Yep. Really, those people then follow you on a regular basis and, and start to get to know you. And when they are ready to create a, you know, to do an architecture project, you're the architect that they have a relationship with. Um, you may have never even met them, but because of this ongoing uh, connection with them through video, it, yes. it's a very powerful tool. And so yep. um, I think that's a great way to can sort of get involved in video. And then through yep. that, if you wanted to do more, then you can start doing uh, more and more of that. Have you seen um, that happen as well through Facebook stories and through Instagram stories? You know, I, uh, me personally, I haven't, but I, you know, I've been teaming up with more and more, uh, uh, film professionals, video professionals to kind of help tell my stories. I've been helping to tell their stories. Um, in fact, I mean, it's, it's almost, um, critical that as you're kind of scaling things up that you have to look for your network to grow, uh, other people who you can tap, uh, when a project's starting to grow a little bit beyond what your scope is and your capabilities. And, uh, Similarly, you can offer those skills to to those people. Um, the uh, recently, I've started partnering with a couple guys. Uh, one is an amazing kind of wedding photographer. Comes from a wedding photographer background, destination weddings. Yeah. But the way he connects with people almost instantly is mesmerizing. Um, and the way he gets them to relax on camera, I have not seen from anybody else. Um, and so uh, anytime I'm working with a large group of people or like anywhere between six to a hundred people who um, I know I'm going to have a limited period of time with, he, you know, I reach out to him and say, Hey, I would love for you to come out on the shoot, help kind of wrangle people, get people interested, yada, yada, yada. And then another guy uh, by the name of uh, Adam Geis, who started a, a North Star Ariel, he's the one who actually kind of pulled us together Um He's just a master of all things motion with a camera. Uh, if it's on the ground or in the air, um, he just is amazing at it. And he's uh, a consummate professional. And, and as you've probably uh, seen in the industry, aerial photography is just getting to be yeah. more and more prevalent. But the most important thing is, are you doing it safely? Are you actually delivering something or getting something from your from your um, photographer that's actually legal? Um, are you putting your your firm or yourself at risk for for publishing something that was produced in a way that's actually dangerous to those on on the ground? Um, and so, he's the number one reason. That's the number one reason why I work with him is that I just know he follows, you know, the absolute letter to the law and does so much work behind the scenes that you wouldn't believe. Um, so as that network of of people has grown. Uh, we've started to kind of form something called Superbird Studios, which used to be just kind of the generic name of the space that we're working in. Um, and we're kind of turning that into a kind of a production house for um, kind of lifestyle brands. And um, I, I'm continuing to kind of foster architecture, architects and architectural clients, design clients, um, and um, just everything action as well. <laughs> is, is there a way to, to connect with Superbird? Is there a website? Yeah, it's uh, superbird-studios.com. All right. And um, uh, so, yeah, anyway, that's all I'll say about that. But the um, 
the important thing is to continue to grow your 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 network so that as your stories are becoming more uh, complicated, more involved, you're trying to reveal more things to kind of create a more crafted story um, that you can reach out to those people. Um, and yeah. one of the things that we really love is kind of helping our clients find what their story is. Yeah, and I think I think that's really the benefit uh, of working with somebody like you who who not only has the tech, you know the experience and the expertise and really knowing how to to craft the story and to and to technically capture that story in a, in a powerful way, but but you know how to sort of you know develop the story and you know on what to shoot and when to shoot and how to shoot it to get the most from that uh, from the time and investment that you're going to put into uh, developing these stories. Absolutely, uh, it's it's kind of amazing like how you could spend three months in production for a two day shoot. Um, or you can spend no time planning and you end up needing to film over the course of a year because um, the client's not quite sure when something's going to be ready or they only they only have access to certain things at different times of the year. And you have to have the right uh, kind of the right planning behind your story if you want those those that investment to really go the farthest. Yeah, a v- video works. I mean, it, when you put a video, a powerful video on your website in order to tell mm-hmm. a story uh, that then leads to, you know, uh, projects or sales or whatever, video is the most powerful thing because you can you can tell a story in a very powerful way through video, through images and sound, moving images and sound uh, that you can't do in any other way. And so um, Absolutely. I, I it's highly It's the most engaging format. Absolutely. And I, and I highly recommend that, that everybody who's listening have some sort of video in their marketing toolbox, you know, whether it's whether you're doing it yourself through Instagram or Facebook, which is powerful, too, um, yes. or you hire somebody professional like Ryan to to create, you know, a little video documentary or something about your practice mm-hmm. and or why tell your story about why you do what you do. What's the purpose of your firm, which is a very powerful uh, story to tell. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and the story behind the story, you know, yes, mm-hmm. you're an architect and you do wonderful architecture and then you're, you know, it's, it's fantastic, but why do you do that? Why, what's your purpose? What's, what are the things that you're trying to do in the big picture? Right. Um, those are, those are, those are really interesting and powerful stories. You know, it's, it's amazing how some of the early lessons from, from, uh, studios in college kind of still mean yeah. the most today. It, so many times when we're working on projects, um, we're developing so many assets uh, to actually tell the story to the client, tell the story to ourselves, help us understand what it means to to form a building or form a space in the way it is. And we're eva- making so many choices based on what we're producing, and then we throw it away or it becomes part of a back catalog that we're not, no longer referencing. Yeah. And the amazing thing is if you hold on to those assets um, and maintain a strong uh, kind of digital uh, library of those assets, you can actually incorporate those into the finished product of a video yeah. um, and, and kind of help your client understand or help the public understand why you made the decisions you did and kind of help raise the literacy rate of architect, Arca-speak. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, if an arch- if say an architect right now is, hasn't done any video and they want to sort of get started in some sort of video. And probably the first step would be to, to, mm-hmm. to experiment with some, some social media. If somebody wanted to take their, 
their their smartphone, which have amazing video cameras on them today. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say are the three most important things that they should focus on to get the best results? You know, it's the most important things that you got to remember and are good light, good sound, and good story. And uh, there's a lot behind each of those those three little things. Um, but if you don't have a, a good picture, if you don't have good light lighting in the space that you're actually shooting, it makes it hard to watch. But even more importantly, if you have bad audio, bad um, bad sound, uh, it makes it almost impossible to listen to. Um, but the key, the most important thing is like understanding what your story is. What are you trying to say in this little video that you're trying to produce? Are you trying to reveal a little aspect about um, a design decision? Are you trying to um, show your audience, show your show your potential clients that you're a goofball or that they can relate to you in a specific way? Are you um, like just understanding your purpose behind your story is going to go far beyond the quality of even your sound and your light? your picture. Um, how, how do you, pl- how do you plan that out when you put, when you're putting together one of these short videos, do, are you doing storyboards or, or outlines or how do you sort of craft the story before you start shooting? I think it goes with like any good purpose. Um, you know, your, your motivation to make one choice after another, after another comes from, um, a strong premise. Um, and it's, it's amazing how my storytelling technique comes from a design approach of kind of investigating and, and really kind of defining what that is. But when it comes to a short story, when it comes to like one of those little Instagram video posts, it's about um, just kind of thinking about what's your action. Is it all going to be taking place in one shot? Are you breaking up your story between multiple segments? Um, one of the nice things I like about stories is that you can um, – you know, take a take your vertical video of like one detail. Then you can switch back to a, um, a picture of yourself talking, a video of yourself talking, and then you can swap to another uh, uh, perspective of the overall project itself. And then you know, kind of switching things up. But so putting things in context, thinking about the details, and um, Thinking about why it matters to your audience are kind of the key things for planning. Um, so, does your camera need to be still? Is it locked down to a tripod? Are you hand holding it? Um, do you have a? Most iPhones are amazing when it comes to the sound quality. If if you're um, just recording yourself, but one of the interesting things I noticed is that when you flip the camera around and you're filming something yeah. outward your sound just disappears because the camera is saying, I'm not listening to the person who's behind the camera. I'm listening to what's in front of me. So kind of learning about what your equipment is capable of makes a big difference to kind of like your finished product. Yeah. Um, uh, the, you can use external mics too for, you know, you, simple yeah. plug-in Rode makes R-O-D-E. Rode makes fantastic, inexpensive mics that completely Absolutely. solved that problem because the mic would either clip to your, your you can do a lavalier that just clips to your collar mm-hmm. and, and it's the audio is going mm-hmm. directly into that no matter which way the camera's facing. And that's sort of a little mic that you could pass to somebody else if you're talking to somebody and they're like $30, $40. It's like nothing. Um, oh, yeah. And, Absolutely. And so the audio really matters. I mean, if you if you have this great story and, you, and the, the audio is being distracting, then you're losing the story. And the same thing with mm-hmm. the lighting. If you're, you have great uh, um, audio and you're telling a great story, 
but you can't see exactly what you're what you're hoping to see, or it's too dark, or it's mm-hmm. distracting. You know, some some way it's overexposed. Yeah. Um, then it's the same thing that you're losing the power of the story through this distraction of poor lighting. And you could buy just like the the inexpensive mic. You can very easily buy you know inexpensive. Uh, lighting that you lighting. can clip, yep. you know, clip on 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 your computer or clip on the the phone. It clips right on the phone, and you have some direct light that lights up your face and and just sort of evens things out. And just being aware of the natural lighting. If you're outside or or using yes. natural lighting from a window, just being aware of how that's hitting your face and experimenting with that through video yep. to get the best lighting before you start recording. Little things yep. like that make a tremendous difference. Um, you know, that's a, an excellent point. If you, it, Just a quick tip. If you're looking for yeah. um, kind of some really nice lighting, go to a window. And if they have a kind of a gossamer blind or a shade, um, the light being filtered through that shade is nice and soft. It's, it basically acts as a, a, a really great diffuser for light. Yeah. Um, if you're out on a site, look for a shady tree, um, you know, just to get a little bit of, of – um, to reduce the amount of intensity on yourself. Uh, if, if the, if the background that you're actually filming at is, um, uh, fully well lit, uh, and then you're facing the camera and you're completely in shade, um, you know, be aware of kind of like what things look like before you start recording and what you're posting. Um, you know, and, and just to, to play devil's advocate for a second, um, it's important to also think about kind of where that story is being published. Facebook, for instance, versus yeah. Instagram. Um, it, <laughs> you know, I have a client right now who's so concerned about uh, people not turning on sound that we're making sure that uh, on Facebook that the story that we're telling lets people know, hey, there, we have an audio component to this if you want to listen. Otherwise, we're telling the story in a dynamic way visually that you kind of get the sense of what's happening and you get why it's important about doing what they're doing. Right. By default, the audio is typically turned off on your video. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of in the video, you either put some text or you sort of get, get people's attention through the video to get them to turn the audio on so they can hear it. Um, or like Brian's saying, create the story that that's just as dynamic without the, the video as the audio, as it would be with the audio. Um, but, uh, yeah, huge, huge, um, so what's next for you, Ryan? What's, uh, what's sort of the future of, uh, of <laughs> Ryan Seamer's video photography? Well, as I mentioned, I've, I've become more and more of a partner with, uh, Superbird Studios, mm-hmm. but, um, it, the, my passion is design. My passion is, uh, architecture. It's about kind of uplifting, uh, architects, engineers, uh, interior designers, interior architects, um, to the next level, trying to help them kind of improve their own prospects for a career. Yeah. Um, so, so what's the best way to reach out to you if somebody wanted to pick your brain or just say thank you for sharing today or to learn more about what you do? How, what's the best way to connect with you? You know, uh, I would say the best way is to visit my website, ryanseemers.com. It's uh, the German spelling, so it's uh, uh, R-Y-A-N. S I E M as in Mary E R S as in Sam uh, dot com and uh, I have a little form submission piece on there. It's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, but uh, it's also the most uh, advantageous way of kind of getting a little bit of background about like kind of how I see the world uh, visually uh, to see recent work and um, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So RyanSeemers.com, that'll be on our show notes as well. So just go to the show notes of this 
uh, of this uh, episode, and we'll have links to everything, the website, uh, all of Ryan's social media and everything. Before we wrap up here, Ryan, um, I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody. Uh, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? You know, it's about um, relationships. Foster the relationships that continue to uh, feed back to you. Um, it, as I've been growing and as I've been uh, developing my network, the most important thing you have to do is just treat people not like their clients, treat people like their people. Mm. And, you know, build your friendships with them, build your relationships around them, and you can't go wrong. Yeah, I totally 100% agree with you. That's how I build Entree Architect. That's how Entree Architect grows is through one relationship at a time, like with the relationship with you, Ryan. So I'm sure this won't be the last time we speak. I'm sure we'll we'll speak some more. I, I actually want to do more video with Entree Architect, so uh, I may be reaching out to you for that. Um, so uh, don't be surprised <laughs> if I come knocking on your door. Um, Love it. Love so it. if anybody else wants to go knock on Ryan's door, it's ryanseemers.com, R-Y-A-N-S-I-E-M-E-R-S.com. Um, you can find him basically on, on social media, Ryan Seamers. Facebook is Ryan Seamers. Instagram, you can check him out at rseamers. And Twitter is Ryan. Hey, one more thing. Ryan wanted to share one more opportunity, one more uh, lesson here. So, Ryan, what did you want to uh, share with the community here? I also wanted to kind of introduce everybody to a great organization. I know your audience is nationwide, even international. Um, and there's a group called the League of Architectural Storytellers and Filmmakers. Uh, if you just search LAFS, L-A-F-S, you'll be able to find them. And uh, the work that we all do is, will just blow your mind. Um, and if you're looking for a local storyteller, it's a great way to uh, connect. All right. So we can check that. We'll add that to the show notes as well. Thank you very much for joining us here today and for sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much. Okay, so there you go. That is episode 230. I thank Ryan for coming out and hanging out with us. Go check out Ryan and 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 the group over at Laughs and go, go check them out and tell them that you heard all about them here at Entree Architect Podcast. And while you're at it, share this episode. It's episode 230, entrearchitect.com slash episode 230. That is your mission. Go do it right now. Share it Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email. Go tell your friends in the office. Thank you very much. entrearchitect.com slash episode 230. That's how we're growing here. Go check out my friends over at Arcaspeak Podcast and Inside the Firm Podcast. If you haven't listened to them yet, go do that. Uh, go subscribe to them. And while you're at it, you can subscribe to us as well. Uh, go, go, go give me a rating too. Let me know what you're thinking about how, uh, how things are going around here at Entree Architect Podcast. I'd love to know. I'd love to get uh, your thoughts and feelings and um, do a little review on iTunes. You can go to entrearchitect.com slash iTunes and go do that. Um, you can check us out on Facebook at the Entree Architect community on Facebook. It is an interactive, supportive, encouraging. It is the most positive place on the internet for small firms. You can join us at entrearchitect.com group. And our free course. If you haven't downloaded the free course yet, uh, go do it now. It's entrearchitect.com slash free course. It's an it's in-depth uh, financial management system that teaches you how to put together a financial management system and earn 20%. 
So go check it out, entrearchitect.com slash free course. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I'm an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go build a better business because that's how you're going to be a better architect. Love, learn, share what you know. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. The one that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together.
Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.